How are you this morning? It is such a pleasure and a privilege to be here with you today. And I was absolutely thrilled. I'm on a bit of a break, as some of you will know the story. And when my good friend Mark rang, and we hadn't seen each other a while, and he said, can you come over? I just consider it a privilege anytime I get to open God's Word and just share with people. So thank you for being here today. Thank you for honouring me with your attendance and presence. And it is a real genuine privilege. And the fact that I get to do it with my lovely lady, Belinda, coming along. And not just Belinda, but her mum, Cara. So that's pretty cool. Having, having your mum-in-law watching when you're preaching, wow. Bit of pressure there. But I've just had something that um, I think God put on my heart. I prayed and pondered for a while on what I wanted to share with you today. And um, it seemed to really resonate when I shared it with Mark. Pastor, you call Pastor Mark or you just Mark? People call me yeah. The most very reverend, His Holiness, Mark. Um, <laughs> There was a resonance, so I hope it also lands with you. No matter where you feel you are in relation to God, whether you've been someone who's actually been following God for some time, or whether you're someone exploring that, or brand new to that, or coming back to that, wherever you are, you're welcome here. And I really hope that this message just speaks to you. And then at the very least, when you leave here, you feel like you've taken a big step forward in the right direction. So I can't do any of this without God's help, so I'm going to ask him to help me right now. So would you bow with me? Let's pray if you're cool with that, and then we'll launch and dive in. Dear Heavenly Father, help in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, Some of you who know me will know that in a previous life I was in law enforcement, and um, I remember many, many years ago, I was on a night shift in what was known as Traffic Branch. Now, Traffic Branch was that old girls' school on the top of the hill on Lord Street, I think it is. And um, Lord Street? Plain Street, Plain Street. And one evening, we were, I was with my friend who was my partner, Steve, and unfortunately, that particular night, I was not driving. I didn't like those nights, I prefer to drive, but this particular one, I was the passenger. And we're in a pursuit vehicle, and all that means is that it's got slightly lowered and stiffened up suspension, slightly larger diameter wheels. Uh, now, we logged on to the radio north side, um, but then the radio communicator told us to switch south side because they needed us. So we flicked across south side, logged on, and instantly they said, now get south, get down the freeway. And apparently some local guys had hooked onto a stolen car and they kept losing it and they would regain it and lose it. It was about probably two or three in the morning, very quiet, middle of winter, very dark. And so we went roaring south side down the freeway. And as we're going down, we're listening and we're hearing more and more about what's going on. They're seeing it that they're not seeing it, they're seeing it again. And eventually we get to call that it's a red Commodore. And we peel off the freeway and we realise as they're calling us, they see it again, that it's heading eastbound on the very road we've just turned off onto. And I said to Steve, I said, he's coming straight at us. And sure enough, as we are approaching this big long bend, a set of headlights comes around, but then he does an unusual thing. He slams on the brakes. He hasn't seen us, but he just slams on the brakes and he does a U-turn and he starts heading westbound. Meanwhile, we've caught up and we're about 200 metres behind him. He still doesn't know that we're there. He still doesn't know who we are. We go flying westbound and we're slowly creeping up and got within about 100 metres and we still hadn't hit the lights or anything yet. He slams on the brakes at another set of traffic control lights, an intersection. He does a U-turn. As he does the U-turn to now be facing eastbound, we're hanging on the brakes coming into the same intersection and we get to this point where we are facing west and he is facing east. 
and we're adjacent to each other with just a median strip in between. And he looks across, I'm looking across past Steve's nose at him. He looks across, sees us and goes, oh, far out. He didn't say that, he said something else. (laughs) And he just took off. We then hit the lights and sirens, did the turn and off we went. And I remember, now I'm in the passenger seat, which is not the exciting seat, and I'm in the passenger seat. Now it's my job to call it. It's Steve's to drive it. And so we are really flying now. This guy is gone. And so I jump on it. And back in my day, what you would typically have to do is you would just jump on and you'd say, look, VKI from Tango 237 or whatever, urgent. Instantly your chatter would, ch- would stop. And the operator would say, go ahead, Tango 236. And you would just go, you know, in pursuit, Red Holden Commodore, you call it the Rego, you know, one Alpha Bravo Charlie 897 or whatever it was. You would say, westbound on such and such a road, give a nearest cross. And then you would call the traffic conditions. You would say, road dry, traffic conditions nil. In other words, there's no other cars on the road. And then the VKI duty inspector would hook on and he'd be listening to everything that you're doing and he would actually guide the pursuit to make sure we didn't endanger anyone. So we are flying down. And I remember one of the things you also had to call was as you'd done everything, westbound, this car, this car, this is the identity, this is the registration, road conditions dry, traffic nil, and then you would call the speed. And I remember just leaning back with the radio on my hand, a ring back, looking past Steve's hand and watching it going 160, 170, 180, and I just went 180 plus. I didn't want to say anymore because <laughs> we're heading toward 200. And I remember then as I looked and I call it 180 plus, put it back on, then I looked at Steve and then looked forward and we had this huge bend coming up in the road and I looked at Steve and I saw him go, just breathe out and he set us up for this bend and we were maxed out. If you ever gone round a bend where you're just holding on to traction, we were high speed going around a bend and I could feel the chassis shifting and twisting and contortioning underneath us as we were just barely holding on. Unfortunately, The end of the story is the guy got away. I know, wouldn't have got away if I'd been driving, let me tell you. Still carrying a bit of baggage from that particular one. But I wonder, have you ever been in that situation where you've got no margin for error? You're maxed out, there's nothing left, and if something goes wrong, you're in trouble because there's no space left, there's no margin left. Have you ever been in that? We often do come across that. Now, what is true in driving, I reckon is also true in living. You ever felt like your life is maxed out? You're like you're redlining your life. You're living life to the full, but sometimes it's a bit too maxed out. There's not much margin left. And just like in driving and you take a big corner at high speed, you're not prepared for the unexpected. If we had a tire blowout, we would have been in strife. You're not prepared for that sudden person to come out from the side. That's what it's like in life. When an unexpected thing happens, it can sometimes throw you. And just like driving, it's the same in living. Sometimes you're that far from a crash because you've got no margin left. You've got no margin left. And I was pondering this during the week as I was preparing, how we live on the limit, little or no space, little or no margin in our lives. And sometimes heading for a crash. And I reckon there are signs when this is happening. I reckon there are signs, just like I could feel the chassis contortioning underneath me and bending and twisting, I reckon there are signs that we can feel in our lives. What are some of the signs? Well, I reckon one sign is this, stress increases. Stress increases. 
You just feel that anxiety start to creep higher and higher and higher. It may evidence itself in time. You just find yourself constantly running late. You're always feeling like you're catching up, like you're always arriving late and you're always telling people, I'm so sorry I'm running late and it just seems like a constant refrain. That's telling you that you actually haven't got margin in your life and stress starts to increase. It does with me. Does it do with you? Am I the only one here? You guys perfect? Okay, I'm the imperfect one. Stress increases. Maybe it's not time, maybe it's finances. When you're living paycheck to paycheck, stress goes through the roof because your margin is like that. There's no margin. So what happens when the refrigerator breaks? Suddenly you have a crash, don't you? What was that? That's right. You start looking for coins between the cushions on the lounge. That's if you have a lounge and you haven't sold it already to try and pay the gas bill or whatever. Have you ever been like that? I certainly have. When living paycheck to paycheck, I have this saying in the house, I do margin. Every time I mention the word margin, my family groan and want to throw me out of the house. But it's so important. So stress increases. I reckon in relationships, you know when you have time under pressure and dollars are under pressure, do you know that's one of the highest indicators of a relationship that's going to be under pressure? Do you know that finance and time are two of the highest indicators of marital conflict? In fact, in some studies they've done, they have put finance as the number one reason for divorce. I would have thought it would be adultery or maybe physical domestic violence. But no, number one was anxiety about money. Incredible, isn't it? And it's just a life that's maxed out. So I reckon one of the evidences, stress increases. What's something else? I reckon energy decreases. You just start to feel dull. Like you're living life in a monotonal way. You go numb, motivation drops, creativity diminishes. If you're in a relationship, romance leaves the building. You haven't got time for someone else because you're maxed out. And you're feeling stress, yes, but you're feeling your energy starting to decrease and motivation is starting to wane. You're so busy doing life, we can be so busy doing life, we don't actually get to enjoy life. So stress increases. I reckon this particular part, energy decreases, but I reckon something else happens. And I call it this, focus narrows. When you've got stuff going on in your world, some things which are often the most pressing things become bigger and more important than other things that aren't quite as pressing but maybe are equally or maybe even more important. I wonder if you've ever been down south at Albany, you've gone to the Gap or you've gone to one of those dangerous area, cliff tops area. Have you ever noticed if you've ever done this that when you move close to an edge of a cliff or just a rise, and it's a little bit, you've got to watch yourself. Have you ever noticed that the closer you get to the edge, just imagine this is a cliff, that everything else just fades away. Why? Because you're focusing on this pressing issue right now. Because I know if I don't get too close, or if I get too close, I might be in danger. I may end up having a crash. And so what happens? Everything else fades from view. You don't think of any, you don't notice the bird, you don't feel the wind, you don't hear anyone talking because your focus is on this. When the margin narrows, focus narrows. When margin increases, suddenly focus widens. See, the trouble is when you get up like this and there's no margin left, your focus is narrowed and what it narrows on it is what's right there in front of you, whereas there may be something else in your world which is way more important on the long run. But you don't hear that, you don't see that because you're focused on this right now. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yeah. Margin. 
margin in life. So stress increases, energy decreases, focus narrows. Sometimes we can just focus on one thing and forget about other things. And I would say that the result of all of this is this particular statement that I came across, that we tend to tune out the people we value and we toss out things that matter because we're under pressure, we're under stress. It's right there, it's confronting us. The trouble is we sometimes toss out and tune out stuff that is way more important. Why do we do this? Why do we live on the limit? Because most of us do. Why do we do this? Why do we live on the limit? Why do we risk it? Now, sometimes we just say, well, it's just the nature of the work or it's the nature of the season. And I get that, I understand that. I reckon we are designed by God every now and again to really max it out. I think it's a good thing. We're supposed to flex muscles, but then we're supposed to rest muscles so the muscle recovers. See, the problem is, if you are constantly flexing, constantly under strain over an extended period of time, that's not healthy. Eventually, you've got to ask the question, hang on, is it just for the season or is there something else driving this? And I've come to realise in my own life that one of the things that drives this is good, plain old fear. Fear, F-E-A-R. Fear about what? What would Hayden be afraid of? I'll give you a few options. Number one, fear of measuring up. That's why we max it out. That's why we push and push and push and push because we're afraid of not measuring up. And we fall into the comparison trap. You know, maybe it's with neighbours, whether it's a house, holidays, clothes, cars, whatever it may be. Perhaps we need to stop wishing our lives were better and just get on with living our lives instead. It's like watching people on social media. And we just, up here we know that it's a headline reel. You know, it's the highlights. It doesn't show you the lowlights, but you tend to think, wow, that lady is always gorgeous. These people are always having the most amazing dinners. They seem to be always on holiday. I wish I had a car like that. And we forget that this is the highlight reel. This is the highlight reel. But then we let it creep in. And sometimes good old fear just rears an ugly head and we have this fear of measuring up. What else? Fear of missing out. That's why we push and don't have any margin left in our world. Fear of missing out. Uh, it's not just us. Sometimes we can actually do it vicariously through our kids. We want our kids to be at everything and doing everything. So we're a taxi service because we don't want them to miss out. But sometimes it's actually, no, it's us who don't want to miss out. I had some friends of ours, we had dinner a a little while ago and a friend of ours, she flew in and she actually came straight from the airport to get to the dinner. And I just said to her, I said, like it wasn't that important. Why don't you just go home and relax and see your kids? And she just looked at me sheepishly and she she said, I had a FOMO moment. A FOMO, fear of missing out, F-O-M-O. And she was sheepish and she laughed, but it was true. So a fear of measuring up, a fear of missing out. But I reckon thirdly, we can have a fear of mattering much. We feel that if we don't max out, if we don't live on the red line, if we don't push and push and push and push, that somehow that'll mean that our lives are insignificant or inconsequential. And so we push and we push and we push. No margin for error. No margin for anything else until something does happen and we tip over the edge of the cliff, or you have the tyre blow out as you go around the corner. Something happens in life. So what can we do about this? I just know if we continue to do this, it will push us over the edge into unsafe, unhealthy territory. There's a leader in in America, a brilliant guy called Andy Stanley, a really clear thinker and a great communicator. He once said this. 
He said, our fear of not mattering much has the potential to draw us away from what matters most. Isn't that true? And over the years, I've learned this, that sometimes we need to stop if we want to succeed. There are some times we just need to stop doing some things so we can make sure we do the main things. That we stop doing everything so we make sure we do the best things. Put another way, we stop doing most things so we can ensure we do the main things. How do we do that? How do we do that? You know, I love the fact, and maybe it's a sad fact, but when we ask the question, what can we do? I just like the fact in a sense that it's not unique to the 21st century. Even though we live in the 21st century world and everything's fast, they experienced this in the ancient world as well. In fact, there's a very famous story that speaks to this in what's the first half of our Bibles called the Old Testament. And it's a story really mapped around a man who you may have heard of, a man by the name of Moses. And we find this story, it's an incredible part of the Old Testament called the book of Exodus. It's the second book in the Bible, second book in the Old Testament. Now just to set this up, I mean, Moses was a guy who is well known to some degree and he lived his life basically in four, four sets, if you like, four periods of time. There was a time in Egypt, then in the wilderness, then in Egypt, then in the wilderness. So he went from Egypt, wilderness, Egypt, wilderness, four big sections of his life. The first section in Egypt, he was a Jew, but he was welcomed into Pharaoh's household. He was treated like a prince of Egypt, Egypt. Then he had to run for his life into the wilderness. He spent 40 years in the wilderness, found a wife named Zipporah, got married. And then after that, God calls him back. Back where? Back to Egypt, Egypt, wilderness, now back to Egypt. And here he is given the task by God to call on Pharaoh to let the people of Israel to go. And then eventually he does. And so you go from Egypt, wilderness, now he's back in Egypt, let my people go. And off they go into the wilderness where they walk for decades on the way to what God says is the land of promise, the promised land, literally. So this is Moses living this incredible life. But in one part of his life, Um, They're in the wilderness near this beautiful big mountain. And part of his role is leading this huge people as they go through the desert, through the wilderness. Now his father-in-law, a man by the name of Jethro, hears that Moses is leading the people from Egypt that are in the wilderness. So he gets his daughter, which is the wife of Moses, Zipporah and his children, and he travels to meet Moses. So there'll be a husband and wife reunion because when Moses went to Egypt the second time, he left his wife and kids in the care of his father-in-law. So they're gonna have this big reunion. They have the reunion and then his father-in-law starts to watch what Moses does day to day. And there's a particular day where Jethro's watching and he gets more and more and more concerned because what Moses is doing is exactly what we're talking about. He gets into a space where there is no space. He's got no margin left in his world. So we're gonna pick up the story. It's in Exodus chapter 18. And this is what it says, verse 17. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. Now, what was he doing? Well, just prior to this, Moses had been meeting people. They come to him and it went from morning into the evening and they ask him to judge, to make decisions. We have a dispute, can you decide? We don't know which way to do things. Can you decide? And Moses is just flat out. Everyone's meeting in morning to evening and Jethro's watching all this. 
getting more and more and more concerned. He says, why are you doing this? And all Moses says, but they come to me for a decision. And that's where Jethro says this. He says, what you are doing is not good. The message translation puts it like this. This is no way to go about it. In other words, stop, stop, stop what you're doing. Now think of this little acronym, S-T-O-P, stop, because it might help lodge during the week as we try and apply this to our own lives. The first thing he says is stop what you're doing. What you are doing is not good. Then he goes on, you and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. In other words, think about what's going on. Stop first, it's not gonna work. Think about what's happening. If you do this, you play the movie forward, you're gonna be worn out. Think about it. Then he goes on and he says this, the work is too heavy for you, you cannot handle it alone. In other words, observe what's going on around you. Observe what's happening. Are you feeling a bit frayed? You look a bit frayed, Moses. Moses, keep going and you're gonna have a crash. So stop, think about it, observe what's happening, play the movie forward, you keep doing this, where's it gonna end up? And then finally he says this, listen now to me, and I will give you some advice and may God be with you. In other words, who wants to guess what it is? Plan. There we go. Stop, think, observe, plan. Acronym STOP. This is anointed, I'm telling you. Stop. (laughs) Stop, think, observe, plan. Play the movie forward. Where's it gonna take you? Is it gonna take you where you want to go? If it's not, stop. Because you know you haven't got margin there's gonna be a crash around the corner. So what's the plan? Well, Jethro tells Moses to select leaders. He says, choose leaders of thousands, leaders of 100s, of 50s and 10s, leaders of calibre, leaders of integrity, people you can trust, and they will handle most of the cases and only the very big cases will come to you, Moses. And then we read this in verse 22. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. And Moses, here's the good thing, listened to his father. There's a a word for someone here today. I can feel it in the air. Moses listened to his father-in-law. When I I finally have a son-in-law, I'm gonna preach this when he's in the room. And Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. So what did Moses do? He stopped doing most things so he could ensure he did the main things. He stopped doing everything to ensure that he did the most important, the best things. There is wisdom in that. No matter where we are in relation to spirituality, if you're still checking out the whole answer to the Jesus question, this will still help you if you apply it to your life. Don't max out your life. It just leads to a crash. So what should we stop? to ensure we never stop doing the most important things. Because when we do this, when we max out our life, when we don't have limits, when we, when we finally make the decision and we stop and we lock in margin, what it will unlock is momentum. When you gain margin, you will gain momentum. It puts an energy into your life because you're focusing on the stuff that actually matters in the long run. In other words, we're talking about priorities. So what would this look like? What would this look like if we applied it? What should we stop to ensure we never stop doing the most important things? What would it look like to stop, to think, to observe, to plan? Well, give me a few examples. Number one example, let's do relationships and let's do marriage. This is one particular relationship. I mentioned Andy Stanley earlier, that guy from the US 
who just had that profound statement. Now, he's got a wife named Sandra. One day when their children were young, he was flat out and he felt like he's got no margin, but he knew this is not gonna be good if I continue. It's gonna, he's playing the movie forward in his head. So he said to Sandra one day, what's, the, what, what's your ideal? Like, you know what we're doing, where I'm working, what I'm leading. What's your ideal? And this is what Sandra said. She said, look, I get it, I understand it. But she said, look, to be truthful and honest with you, the toughest moment for me in the day is from 4.30 p.m. to 6.30. That is crazy time with the kids. And if you could be around from 4.30 to 6.30, my life would be just transformed and revolutionised. So he made a decision. Now, he would be willing to start work at 5 a.m. if that's what it took. But at 4 p.m. every single day, he walked out the door. Now, not everyone has to make that decision. He did. He reckons it was the hardest leadership decision he's ever made and it was the best leadership decision he has ever made. And all those years, he was always home by 4.30. And if he had an evening thing on, he would be able to go to that, but Sandra knew that he was gonna be from 4.30 to 6.30. Isn't it true? Often the right things are hard things, but they're always the best things. Isn't that true? So there's a one example, a marriage relationship of Andy and Sandra. I wonder what it'll be for you. What about, think about personal callings and the call of, if you're a follower of Jesus, God's got a call of God on your life. There is a contribution you need to bring. God's put you on earth for a purpose. He has actually created you on purpose and for purpose. What is it? Find out and get into it. Find the current of God's love and where his anointing is and get in there and stay in that grace space, that grace channel. Personal calling. Some of you may have heard this name, Eugene Peterson. He's a guy who translated the Bible into just contemporary language English. He's an amazing guy. He's got this deep gravelly voice. Looks like he's almost losing his voice. He's now very elderly. He's got bald head and grey, but these twinkling eyes that just smile all the time. Well, he tells the story, and I remember laughing as I watched him tell the story. He just knew the goal, call of God in his life was in these later decades of his life was to dedicate himself to the translation of the Bible into language that people could just get. They could understand the ordinary person on the street. And he dedicated himself. That was the call of God in his life. Then one day, someone by the name of Bono, heard of him? From U2. He quoted Eugene Peterson in an interview. And everyone said, who's this Eugene Peterson that Bono? is quoting. Well, one of Eugene's students at a theological seminary that he happened to be teaching at at the time came up to him after a class and said, Professor Peterson, Bono quoted you in an interview the other day. And Eugene said, who's Bono? <laughs> Seriously. He had never heard the name, no idea. The student said, from you too. You too what? what what's you too? Had no idea, literally no idea of Bono and you too. Eventually, Bono actually got in contact with Eugene Peterson when they were touring the North part or North America. And they invited Eugene Peterson to come and hang with the band for a couple of days. He turned him down. The journal who was interviewing him said, you must be the only person on the face of the planet that would turn down two days, all expenses paid, to go and hang with you two and spend time with Bonnie. You must be the only person. And the journo said, and I was watching this, and the journo said, it was Bono. And I'll never forget Eugene Peterson's response. He said, but this was Isaiah. 
He was translating the book of Isaiah at that time. And in his view, that is more important than this. And he made a judgment. He made a calling on the call of God in his life. We all have to do that. What do we need to stop to ensure we do the main things, the best things, the things that we're called to? Here's another example, personal finances. Oh, now we get into the nitty gritty. What do we need to stop? Okay, observe, think, and then plan. Play the movie forward. Is this taking us where we want to go? Or is it creating? Observe what's going on. Is it creating stress? Is it creating hopelessness, helplessness? Do you feel helpless? Do you feel like I'm not gonna make it to the next paycheck? Then we need to change something. Stop, think, observe what's going on and then get a plan. Now, whatever that plan may be, it may be to just prioritise debt cancellation, particularly personal consumer debt, maxing out credit cards. That's a common thing, isn't it? Now, I don't know what the strategy will be. There are many strategies out there and today's not the day to talk about that. But there are some great biblical principles. If you apply them, it will do you the world of good. I know Belinda and myself, our story, we just made a decision. We were gonna prioritise our mortgage. We built a little house up in the northern suburbs and we said, we're gonna throw everything we have at it. But see, we had made a bigger decision though beyond that. We had made a decision to prioritise our finances in the following way. We said, we're gonna give first we're gonna save second, and then we're gonna live on the rest. If you do that, you will by definition live on less than you earn. You see, when we have no margin is when we're living on more than we earn. That's when you get into credit card debt. That's when you get into all sorts of debt. That's when you get under stress. But when you give first, save second, and then live on the rest, you will by definition live on less than you earn. That's a Bible principle. Give first, save second, live on the rest. That's what we did and it's helped us now. I look now on those years all ago then and I say, thank God we did that back then. Thank God, maybe that'll help someone today. What's another example? Well, there's a whole range of them, emotional health. Imagine if your emotional tank is empty, you've actually maxed out and I've got seven seconds, beautiful. We maxed out, I've maxed out the time, Mark. Stop, think, observe, plan. I'm gonna plan how I'm gonna finish this message. Stop, think, observe, plan. Maybe your emotional tank, you've maxed it out and you've got nothing left. You're close to burnout. Sometimes we can feel it coming, sometimes we don't. It just hits like that. And it'll lay you out flat. You've got to think. Stop first, think, observe, and then plan. One thing you can think about and observe is something I've done in past times, and that is this. What fills you and what drains you? What's the sort of stuff that just saps the energy out of you? What's the sort of stuff that puts the energy into you? And make sure if you're in a space in your world where you're actually having a lot of draining, just lift the stuff that comes in. Because if you don't, you're gonna run on a margin and you're gonna have a crash called a burnout. So there's a guy called Wayne Cadero. He leads a church in a beautiful place. I reckon God really needs to reach this place called Hawaii. How would be leading a church in Hawaii? How hard would that be? It's like leading a church in Queenstown, New Zealand. Yes, Queenstown needs God. I can feel God calling me to Queenstown, you know, and so on. Anyway, he leads a church in Hawaii. It's a beautiful, fantastic guy, Wayne Cadero. He burnt out. He wrote a book called Leading on Empty because he was, and then he crashed. And then he sat down and he wrote, just drew up a piece of paper, plus and minus, and he said, okay, what drains me, what fills me? This is what drains him. It'll be different from you, maybe, 
But think about it. What drains you? This is what drains him. He said, counselling people drains him. Dealing with staff where mediocrity is okay drains him. Dealing sometimes with all sorts of issues like paperwork (laughs) drains him. He just identified, this drains me, this drains me, this drains me. When I'm doing this, I can just feel the energy sapping out of my body. Okay, what fills me? Number one, sailboarding. Number two, riding his Harley. Number three, travelling with his wife. Number four, developing leaders. And he just made a decision that whenever he's going to have a lot of this, because sometimes you can't avoid it, I'm going to have a real lot of this. And I saw him do it. He came and he did this huge thing, took a lot out of him. And then he said, and right after this, I'm going on a three-day motorcycle trip. Because he just knew, how do I balance this out to make sure that I keep margin in my world? I've done this. See, I love my wife. I love driving. And I love natural beauty. So I once went to this very intensive time and straight after that, we booked a week in Tasmania where I hired a car and I combined my wife driving a Ford Falcon XR6 and Tasmanian's awesome roads and incredible natural beauty in one week. And it just did me the world of good, filled me with energy and life. Find out what fills you. And if you're under pressure and stress and life is filled with that, just make sure that you fill the other side. Did I break something? No, it's okay. Okay, didn't allow much margin behind me. There we go. So, let me finish quickly with this as I'm a few minutes over. A guy called Stephen Covey, he's well known. He wrote a book um, once that really had a big impact. And he basically wanted to to make a point. And his point was simply this, put first things first. Put first things first. He demonstrated in a now well-known story of a man leading a seminar. A man had a big container. It was clear. He had some rocks. He had some gravel and he had some sand. He put the rocks in, then he put the gravel in, then he put the sand in and filled up all the spaces and so on. He said to the class, okay, what was I trying to demonstrate? What does that prove? Everyone in the class said the following thing. He says, what you're trying to prove, what your point is, is that you can always fit more in. You can always fit more in the gaps. Everyone said it and he sat there shaking his head and he said, no, the point is this. If you don't put the big rocks in first, you won't get them all in. The point is, what is the most important thing in life? And you put that first, put first things first. Big rocks go in. Then if you've got space, gravel goes in. Then if you've got space, sand goes in. But you've always made sure the most important things are already there. This makes a big, big, big difference. So what's your big rocks? What or who needs to go in first? Jesus used to say things like this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You'd say things like this. Love the Lord your God. When he was asked, what's the two greatest? What's the number one and number two? He said, love God with all that you are. Love others just as you love yourself. That's number one, that's number two. In fact, he said, they are so important. Every other command in the Bible can be added up in those two. Love God with all that's in you and then love others as you love yourself. If you get priorities like that right, it'll impact everything. Like it impacts me how I start my morning because God said to me, Love me, love God, then love others. So it impacts how I start a morning. So I started a morning this morning by spending time with God and then praying for others. And every part of life will be impacted once you get the priorities right. 
I've said this many times before and I'll say it here today and elevate church for the very first time. Decisions determine life direction. Directions determine life destinations. And life destinations determine life destinies. There is a power in a decision. And if you are maxed out, maybe now is a moment to make a decision. To say, what are the first things that I need to put into my life? For some of you, it'll be a rearranging of priorities. For some of you, it may be putting God first in your life for the very first time. So why don't we pray? Why don't you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for this wisdom that just comes from your word and we thank you that it's so applicable and so practical. And Father, I wanna pray right now for those who are here that whatever their circumstance, they may be feeling that pressure where there is just very little margin. It may be relational, it may be time, it may be financial, whatever it may be, it may be more than just a season. It may be something that's been going on and on and on and is not sustainable. Father, I pray that you would so speak wisdom and more than that, you would speak courage into people's lives, that decisions can be made, changes can be made, that stopping, thinking, observing and then planning the way out will become a reality. So Father, wherever people are at today, I pray that you will speak that wisdom and courage into each life. But Father, I also wanna speak to you today about someone here who may be really needing to put the, the ultimate first, and that is you, to put you as number one in their life. And this may be to say once again, having made a commitment a while ago, but a realisation is dawning that you are not number one in their life. And so I'm gonna pray in a moment for these wonderful people. And I pray, Lord God, that you would speak to all of us who need to maybe rearrange our hearts and our lives and our priorities and put you number one. But you, there may be someone here, Father, and I pray right now that you would speak to each heart. Because ladies and gentlemen, you may be here and you may have never committed your life to Christ ever. You may have never put God first and maybe today's your day. This is a great place to do it, a great community to do it within because we're not meant to do life alone. We're supposed to do it in friendship and relationship with others. And there's nothing better than doing it as you gather with a community. So in a moment, I'm gonna be praying a prayer. And if, if you wanna be saying to me today, yeah, look, Hayden, I'm gonna make some changes. I'm making a decision. I'm gonna rearrange this, or I'm gonna put God first. I'm gonna recommit, or maybe I'm gonna just say yes to God for the very first time in my life. If that's you, would you mind just indicating just quietly and quickly to me, just by raising a hand or just say, hey, just wave at me. God bless you, thank you and thank you. God bless you. Great, brave decisions. Again, decisions are so important. Let's pray. I'm gonna pray a prayer. I'm gonna ask you if, you, if you are someone who responded or you're responding in your heart, whatever it may be, that you just echo this in your heart. Maybe just breathe these words out or put your own words to it. But I'm gonna pray and you just echo it in your heart. But we thank you for making this great decision today. Father, be with these incredible people right now as we pray. Just overwhelm them, bless them, empower them, change them, we pray. Father, I pray right now for these incredible people and I'm praying on behalf of each one. And Father, if there is someone here who's responded to you, Father, I pray that you will so overwhelm their life and their heart that they will never be the same, that you'll fill them as they speak to you now in their hearts to you and as they respond to you, I pray that you will hear from heaven you will forgive and restore and love and bring hope and bring help, whatever is needed, because you are the God who does that. And we love and honour you for it. So Father, we pray this now. 
And Father, for those of us who maybe just need to make some wise decisions about life in general, I pray You'll help us to do that. Have the wisdom we need and the courage we need. And we thank You for this. And we pray this in the mighty, precious and saving Name of Jesus. And you can say, Amen. God bless you.